0: Hey everyone. Welcome to episode 291 of Epstop Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week on the podcast, I sat down and had a great conversation with landscape photographer John Norris. John is obsessed with Joshua Tree National Park and has a huge passion for giving back to nature in any way he can. We explore this love affair and many other topics so be sure to stay tuned as we unpack a lot of cool stuff this week. Before we start, I wanted to remind listeners that another great way to support the podcast is to use our b affiliate link that we have embedded into every single week's show notes. If you're planning to make any photography purchases and want to support the podcast, this is a very easy way to help out. Thanks to those of you who have already been using the link, it does help naturally the best way to support the show is by pledging your ongoing support on patreon we've already dipped well below my goal of 200 supporters once again so if you can help out i would really appreciate it okay thanks let's get to this week's episode with john norris all right john norris it is great to have you on the podcast
1: thanks Matt really a privilege to be here yeah
0: we've been talking back and forth over social media and email for a few years now
1: yeah absolutely yeah it's been good getting to know you and I've been a longtime listener to the podcast and really appreciate the opportunity to come on I mean you've interviewed some amazing photographers and I find it kind of inspirational to get a whole bunch of ideas from the people you talk to
0: awesome I'm glad that it gives you some some value
1: (laughs) yeah absolutely does I look forward to listening. It's uh, it's a great way of whiling away a car journey. I like to do road trips. I'm doing them pretty regularly, so it's always on in the car.
0: I'm going to have to get out my my UK slang dictionary that I always have to carry around with me when I talk to Tim and Alex for NLPA so I can follow along on some of the slang you're going to be throwing out at me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Maybe I should put subtitles up on the screen just to help you out.
0: Right? <laughs> All right, John. Well, for people that that aren't familiar with you and your photography, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure thing.
1: So I'm John Norris. I'm originally from England. During the last 25 years, I've only lived in the UK for four years. I'm lucky to be married to an amazingly supportive and photography-tolerant wife. I've got two 20-something-year-old daughters and a crazy Wheaton Terrier. So I'm the wrong side of 50 or the right side of 50, whichever way you want to look at it. I trained as an aircraft engineer. I've been in aviation for over 35 years now. I've worked in engineering, program management, and now work in marketing. And I've lived and worked abroad uh, in Toulouse. We had five years in Toulouse, France, and then 10 years in Germany, both in Munich and Hamburg, uh, and now live in Southern California. So in terms of splitting my time, uh, I, I kind of work in marketing, but then do a lot of landscape photography on the side uh offering one-to-one and small group workshops in joshua tree i'm a bit of a a fan of joshua tree to say the least and then i also provide online mentoring and sell prints as well
0: nice uh so when you say aircraft uh engineering uh are we talking about like on the you know manufacturing side of things or is it more on the yeah
1: so i i did an apprenticeship at british aerospace many years ago i left school at 17 dropped out of school did an apprenticeship worked hands-on building aircraft for a manufacturing site and then kind of worked my way up into design roles and ended up as chief design engineer on a couple of aircraft programs and then Kind of got bored with with engineering, program management, because you kind of start with not enough time, people, or money, and then it gets worse from there. <laughs> and uh, made the move, kind of lateral move into marketing, sales and marketing first, and then specialised in marketing. But I've always worked in aviation since I left school, so I think this is my 37th year in aviation.
0: So I'm, I'm guessing that that career um, taught you a lot about process management, project management, trying to, you know, come in under budget on time. And I'm curious how have those skills translated into the photography world? Uh, well, I
1: mean, I'm certainly very kind of methodical. I think my wife would definitely say I'm OCD. I'm very organized. I like things just so. So I think being very structured kind of helps. I'm technically minded. So, I really enjoy the technical process of taking photos and getting the camera set up right and workflow and my approach to things. It tends to be a kind of rinse and repeat. I'm not terribly good at trying new things. I think the other thing is because I entered engineering such a long time ago, I started off as a draftsman, so I was actually drawing. 2D drawings of 3D things so I'm quite I have a lot of spatial awareness and this was pre-cad just to date myself this was drawing on um, ink with ink on film and spatial awareness and sort of lines patterns textures I think all of those things were kind of developed by my engineering, and they kind of read across into my photography so I think when you look at both some of my earlier urban abstract work, and also my landscape photography, it's quite strong in terms of some of those things, you know, lines, perspective, shapes. I tend to see in shapes rather than what it actually is. So I think all of that, yeah, is influenced by by that engineering background.
0: And I'm curious, have you found that the opposite problem exists in terms of the kind of rigidity around the engineering aspect of things? being a form of a barrier or something that kind of pigeonholes you in terms of artistic expression or things of that nature?
1: No, I don't think so. I mean, I think it's one of my go-tos, but it's not so kind of solid that I can't move away from it. I mean, other times I'm just inspired. I see something I'm attracted by something. I'm kind of naturally curious, you know, when I'm out hiking, exploring, and if I see something that interests me, I'll look at it and, you know, see if i want to take a picture and how i might be able to capture that so i wouldn't say it's rigid it's just they're the kind of things i notice first when i'm out okay you know so yeah but I, no i don't i don't see it as uh i don't really see it as a barrier maybe i might try more techniques if i wasn't as kind of rigid on process etc sure but you know i'm a bit of a. I i have my habits and right. i like doing things a certain way and
0: yeah. yeah, No. I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing. No, can be. It depends. Sure. So you also talked about um, being involved in some marketing. Uh, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about kind of what kind of marketing you're into and how that's translated into your photography business.
1: Yeah, so I work for a, a large multinational aviation company in the in-flight entertainment space. Ah. So this company is one of... Three or four major players who provide seat back screens in aircraft. So we work very closely with the airlines to put together those systems, the the software on those systems, the applications that it plays. And it's so much more about kind of engagement now than entertainment. So it's all B2B marketing, kind of very different to you know the marketing you would you know put out into the world for photography or as a photographer. But I find it interesting. I mean, I'm obsessed with aviation, always have been since uh, since a small child. So, you know, it's interesting, it's challenging. I mean, as you can imagine going through COVID, it was, it was a pretty tough time for the industry because nobody was flying anywhere. Right. And so, you know, the airlines have, have struggled, you know, they're bouncing back. And actually, in some cases, they're bouncing back stronger. You know, they're a lot more innovative. They're looking at different things, mm-hmm. you know, different products on board. It, it's, it's constantly changing. So it's exciting. You know, a positive about it is hopefully I'll start to be able to travel again. You know, I've been very fortunate having lived and worked abroad, but I also travel a lot for work. So I think I've visited something like 42, 44 countries worldwide, some interesting places as well, sure. uh, like Bhutan, a lot in Asia, China, so, you know, it's been a lot of fun. So, but it's it's constantly changing. I mean, marketing is, is changing. Digital marketing is so much more important. You know, just how things are presented. We, we do a lot of like 3D work, video. So it's some pretty exciting techniques from a creative point of view, getting involved in what we do.
0: Have you been able to cross-pollinate some of those techniques into your photography?
1: I've started to dabble more with video. I'm kind of playing around with the idea of sharing some video. It'll probably just start off with more, you know, short clips, stories, that kind of thing. You're not going to see a reel from me anytime (laughs) soon, but stories I quite like on Instagram. I'm almost favoring stories on Instagram rather than Instagram posts and little video clips of fun. I've done a couple, which were like, you know, I went, I went up to the Pinnacles national park near Seattle in um, San Francisco in January and did a couple of like short clips to camera. Still a bit nerve-wracking, but I might kind of do some more because I kind of feel it would help just to get my face out there and people to kind of link a face and a personality to some of the other stuff I do. So there's a bit of a read-across there. you know. I enjoy playing around with audio as well. I'm certainly not an audiophile, but I find it interesting.
0: Sure. Yeah. Sorry, I just had a good laugh there because you made fun of Reels. What's wrong with Reels, man?
1: (laughs) Uh, they just suck. I mean, if they were original and interesting, they wouldn't suck, but everyone's just doing the same stuff and it just drives me crazy.
0: Yeah. It's, it's so funny to see people chase, chase the latest trend. Like their business is going to completely collapse if they don't do it. It's really fascinating to watch. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to do reels. I might do like a couple here, there, like one or two a year or something, but. not going to try to put out a real day or anything like that? Come on.
1: Well, I mean, it just wouldn't be me. I mean, that's not the authentic me, and I'm not going to do it. I mean, you know, it isn't going to make any difference at all to the business. I really enjoyed the uh, guest you had on recently, Alex Vita. I've just signed up and working with him with his free, you know, worksheets and things. He's got some amazing uh, stuff online, and, you know, it's just become really apparent that as social media gets weaker and weaker from a marketing point of view you know seo is really where it's at and you know email list you know you've got to put more much more effort into that so yeah you know i post pretty much daily on the social media channels but it's more automated you know i'm not putting a great deal of effort into it you know i'm posting good pictures i you know i put a caption on it but i'm not beating myself up about you know who sees it doesn't see it yeah and it's all about it's all about just trying to get you know traffic to the website so yeah i think seo and email is really where it's at and it's been fascinating going down that rabbit hole of you know keyword research and stuff like that it's some pretty it's some pretty heavy stuff but it's fun yeah no it's it's, of mischief
0: it's crucial i was just talking to someone today that i was friends with in portland oregon when i lived there and he had a pretty big uh Instagram following, and his account was hacked recently and he oh, and he no. lost it completely like Facebook can't help him at all, and so he's just starting over and he's telling me how like it's completely devastated his business model, and I'm just like I'm like, if Instagram went away today, I'd be like, oh, I guess there's just one less thing I gotta worry about." <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I'd actually have more hours in the day right. if I didn't and have to post on there. We, it's like okay. when you
0: start thinking about it in those terms, it's like maybe it's not really that important for business. But I guess if you put all your eggs in one basket, and uh, you know the basket gets trapped down a cliffside, you're kind of yeah S O L. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, you can see why people are trying to you know follow these trends or the new initiatives or copied initiatives that each of the channels you know are doing if they've got no choice but to do that right
0: yeah no i get it it's one of the reasons why a long time ago i i just decided social media was it's just not going to be the main driver for anything i do it's it's rented space yep truly yeah absolutely yeah all right john yeah. well i mean we could talk about seo and instagram and reels all night long but people might get sick of that so no let's not yeah, let's not so so I happen to know that you happen to be pretty obsessed with Joshua Tree National Park. I would love for you to tell us what it is about J-Tree that hooked you and keeps, keeps coming back.
1: Yeah, it's definitely an obsession. So I first visited Joshua Tree in 2011. It was before we moved to the U.S. My wife and I had a holiday. We were in Palm Springs and we did a, a hammer day trip overland into joshua tree which was which was a lot of fun and i thought wait this place is cool i just it was just so different to what i'd experienced growing up you know i come from england was brought up in england spent a long time in europe northern europe we just don't have deserts we have nothing like it nothing comparable and so When we moved here in 2014 and I started visiting more regularly, I just fell in love with the place, you know, the desert, the landscape, the climate, the sounds, the trees, flora, wildlife. I I just find it an incredible place to just go and explore and just experience nature and be out there. I love the fact that it's off the grid and, you know, I love it to the point where I now typically spend probably two weekends a month in the park, either doing my photography, running a workshop or volunteering. And I think the other thing is, um, you know, I've always loved being outdoors, you know, hiking, backpacking. And now since I moved here, I, I do quite a lot of overlanding. So sort of truck based travel, Yeah, it's just in um, wild places. And I think just from the sort of sheer size of some of the national parks here, you know, Joshua Tree is about 800,000 acres, it's like 1200 square miles. There's loads of great hiking trails from half a mile long to 38 miles. There's some great four-wheel drive trails, great places to camp inside the park, and also in the neighboring BLM lands. So, you know, I, I quite like primitive camping and boondocking. So my rig, I have a Ranger with a camper on it and uh, I'm regularly out there exploring. And I, I think another thing that appeals to me about Joshua Tree, unlike many national parks, it doesn't have like a long list of the stereotypical classic shots you can it's not like you can write here's the top 10 things to shoot like you know you go to Yosemite and you know I remember I went to Yosemite for the first time a couple of years ago bought Michael Fry's guidebook because it's a brilliant book did the 20 kind of top things to see in Yosemite and then as I've gone back a few more times since then I've kind of gone off the beaten track and gone off on trails and hiked and explored Joshua Tree doesn't really have many... It probably has one or two kind of classic shots. You know, it has the the stone monolith with the dwarf juniper tree, which a lot of people shoot. But apart from that, there aren't that many classics, so you have to kind of work harder at finding a good image that isn't just... A tree, a Joshua tree, and a pile of rocks. Right, or silhouetted. And for me, that a silhouetted
0: Joshua yeah. tree at night time.
1: Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong; I have plenty of silhouetted Joshua trees. I mean, they're cool, okay, um, but you know. Yeah, so you've got to work a bit harder at it. So you don't. There's not that many sort of me too, images. It's also my closest national park. It's about two hours from home. Mm-hmm. If the traffic's being kind to me, it means I can get there a lot. And I think the other thing is I have a soft spot for it because it kind of got me out of what I used to shoot in Europe was more urban and abstract, uh, particularly when I was traveling, and got me into landscape photography. I'd done some landscape photography back in the film days, you know, as a teenager, early 20s. I had an old Zenit 10 Soviet era, very heavy 35mm camera. And I used to enjoy taking pictures out and about and, you know, having lots of them. poorly exposed negatives that i tried to get prints from but i think you know that joshua tree is the catalyst for me changing to landscape it was really the place where i taught myself how to do landscape photography properly so i just keep going back and back and i think i was kind of counting it in my head i've probably been about 80 times now in the last six seven years wow really has ramped up in the last couple of years you men- so I kind of know it like the back of my hand.
0: You, you mentioned that there's not really a lot of kind of Me Too Im- images from JTree. Why is that important to you as a photographer? Like why do you seek out images that are yours?
1: I like the sense of originality and authenticity. You know, I, don't get me wrong, I'm not a... You know, I consume a lot of images. You know, I'm an avid reader. I look at. I, I don't practice photo celibacy in any shape or form. But when I, I think it's also to do with how I go and take photos. I like to just explore. I try and set myself a goal of every time I go to the park, I'll do a new hike that I haven't hiked before, and I'll, you know, I'll do the hiking, and then see what I discover, and then take pictures. I just. It's the way I get into flow. It gets me kind of out of, you know, weak work mode and I just explore, enjoy being there, you know, enjoy the experience of being out and then see what I see. And I think Joshua Tree just lends itself to that because there's not this distraction of, here's the obvious things to go and shoot. So it's just a kind of different experience. I mean, I've spoken to a couple of photographers who've actually said they're kind of intimidated going there because they, don't know what to shoot because there isn't a hit list yeah but i guess you know each to their own it just depends what you know tickles your fancy and how you approach photography
0: i mean that's basically like the redwoods with no fog you know (laughs) like good luck if you don't you know (laughs) you got you gotta hone your skills as a photographer you gotta learn composition you gotta be able to find that stuff on your own. And of course it's not easy. I mean, at least it's not for me. Like I find, that, I mean, that's why, that's why I like to do what you're describing because it's a challenge. It's fun to try to piece it together. It's, you know, it's like, it's like the difference between buying a coloring book that has numbers or where you need to put the colors and then yeah. buying like a 15,000 piece puzzle. Like it's that yeah. different.
1: And I think the other thing is I enjoy being out in nature more than I enjoy, it's going to sound like heresy, landscape photography. So if I go out and I explore and I hike, I have a really good time, regardless of whether I take any photos or not. So, you know, this this has kind of developed over the last three or four years. I mean, when I first started taking photos, you know, you're kind of emphatic that you've got to get a shot, you've got to get a shot. Mm -hmm. And it kind of takes all the fun out of it. Now, there's some weekends I won't even take the camera out of the bag, so I, I lug around my, <laughs> you know, 40-pound rucks like a camera gear, but sometimes don't take any pictures. If it doesn't come, it doesn't come, and I'm, I'm not bothered about it. It doesn't kind of freak me out or give me any palpitations because I know I'll be back in a couple of weeks and, you know, conditions might be better. I might find something that, you know, is, is more, you know, appealing or that works for me at the time. So it's just a healthier way of being out there and taking the pressure off
0: yeah i mean what you're describing resonates a lot for me it's kind of the way i describe it is you know it's experience driven photography versus results driven photography
1: yeah yeah i think it's just uh it's just a healthier way of approaching it for me personally and i think i'm not exactly a prolific photographer So, you know, I'm not shooting hundreds and hundreds of shots. If I find something I like, then I will take hundreds and hundreds of shots. But, you know, I think my shutter count each year varies very significantly based on, you know, what else has been going on. What did I find? What did I like? You know, how many star trails did I shoot? That certainly boosts the number of frames.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I wanted to go back and talk a little bit more about something you mentioned earlier with urban and abstract. Yeah. Um, I'm curious how your love for uh, urban and abstract photography has influenced uh, your approach to landscape and nature photography.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think one of the biggest influences is that I love wide angle and ultra wide angle lenses. And I think that comes from the urban and abstract. You know, I liked getting into you know really close to a subject playing around with shallow depth of field the kind of distorted perspective you get in an urban environment is really cool you know you know buildings sharp contrast tones shapes so it's very noticeable that i use my telephoto lenses the least mm. you know i'm much more at home with wide angle and i actually have to force myself to use telephotos i'm getting better at but it's not the thing that comes naturally you know i tend to get right up close to stuff and you know, take some interesting angles, which means, you know, I'm quite often focused stacking. And I think also the with urban abstract, there's an emphasis, or at least there was for me, on sort of shapes, lines, colours, patterns. It comes back to that kind of engineering read across as well. And I see parallels to that in my landscape photography. Again, it's kind of how I see the world. You know, so I'm looking at that picture behind you on the wall, and I'm seeing, you know, I'm seeing diamonds and triangles and you know the shapes in the clouds and that's what kind of comes through for me and i kind of mentioned it already but you know i think urban abstract you have a really strong foreground subject matter and often that you know that's the case in landscape as well you know i will take big vistas that maybe don't have you know very specific foreground subject but more often than not There is something there or or it's a smaller scene and and something a little abstract.
0: Yeah. I've always found using the wide angle to be somewhat of a challenge when you, especially when you have a large field of view, like a a big vista, because it's so hard to kind of minimalize the photo down to the essential subjects. And I think, uh, that's what I've heard a lot of feedback on, you know, some of these types of images of amazingly awesome you know mountain scenes is what's the subject it's like the scene is the subject what do you mean it's Mm -hmm. like well they have a fair point though because it's like okay yeah that I see that but like there's not a singular subject that so I you know I think I find that to be a challenge have you found that to be a challenge
1: yeah a little bit I mean I think it's one of those rules that isn't really a rule that you've got to have a strong singular you know, primary subject, I think it really depends on the scene. You know, it's the whole scene. I mean, you know, is there a great sky, are there clouds, there's color, there's peaks, it's just an awesome view, then it can be an awesome view. I mean, you know, you're not going to be able to place a tree in front of that view and have a subject, because typically then you'd throw the background out of focus. And, you know, that's not why you're shooting the picture. I mean, I think. I've always believed that you know you take the picture that's right for you, you know whether it conforms to rules or you know does or doesn't conform to rules. I think that is uh, it's a, a side issue. You know, it's it's what motivates you at the time. If it feels good, take the image. Um, it's. I, I. You heard it here. You hair, know, it here first. It sounds.
0: It's that it sounds very, Composition is that it sounds,
1: <laughs> it sounds very simplistic, but I think. And again, this is going to sound like heresy, but. I think some photographers have a habit of overcomplicating images. Yeah. I mean a, in terms of agonizing over the comp- over the composition. Sometimes you look at a composition and it just feels right, you know, you haven't aligned the rules, tried it this way and the other, you know, handheld before you got your tripod out and all that good stuff. I mean, which sometimes you do need to do. I'm not knocking it, but occasionally it's just you see it, your gut reaction is take it. And, and it works. Sometimes it doesn't work. So I think um, I try and simplify things when I can. You know, I, I kind of have this approach in my post-processing. I don't do a huge amount of post-processing. I mean, the, the kind of level of technology and software and applications that, you know, are now available to photographers is kind of mind-boggling.
0: Well, yeah, now you and, can just um, get on mid-journey, type in a prompt, and you have your... Your landscape photograph that is your artwork, right? Do we, so we want to go there?
1: Why bother going into the outdoors if you're going to let a computer come up with a very average image? I mean, I think for the photographer, you obviously have a more vested interest in the photograph because you experienced it. It's right. a, It's a memory for you. It's the whole... It's the whole shebang, which is why I go out and take yeah, photos. It's the whole of process. So, it's the whole process. I mean, yeah, I use you know, I use Photoshop, I use Lightroom, but I don't use any other kind of tertiary software because it just, I it just find it mind boggling. It's like I'd rather go out and take some more photos than spend hours and hours and hours agonizing over an image.
0: Yeah, no, I feel that. I, I've i don't know i go back and forth it depends on the photo too like some photos just need more massaging than others but you know i'm i'm typically not one to spend more than a couple of hours on a photo tops you know
1: i yeah i think my upper limit is probably like 30 minutes
0: yeah, and most of the time for me too but it depends it's just it, i mean it does depend on what
1: you're trying to do and if it's something you can't replicate you can't get back there you can't shoot again then it might be worth you know, invest in a bit more time in but generally I try and keep things a bit more a bit more simple
0: yeah cool well you kind of started to touch on this a little bit earlier but I think we can go dive we can dive a little bit deeper into this subject um, you had created a blog post um, about your approach to photography including I think you call it a, explore experience and then create and I would yeah. love for you to tell us uh, about this approach how you developed it and how it's impacted your work.
1: Yeah, sure. I think it's something that kind of slowly developed over the last four or five years. I think particularly when I got into landscape, started taking a lot of pictures in Joshua Tree. And I think it's because when I started, there was this anxiety about getting the shot. And it was like, you know, it's like, how do I get myself into the right frame of mind to take a good image? And I think I had a couple of trips where they were pretty unsuccessful, didn't really get anything, was feeling pretty disheartened. And I just like, sod it. Next time I go to the park, I'm just gonna go for a hike. And you know, I did a a six, eight mile hike one day and like five, six miles the second day and got some really nice shots that I was really pleased with because the photography was kind of secondary. So the explore part for me is just get out there, be in nature, get off the grid, go and, you know, go and explore you know, walk around, take a map. I'm a fellow map nerd like you. I love topographic maps. So I kind of plan what I'm going to do in advance. You know, I carry a digital map. I'm a big fan of Gaia, but I always have a paper map with me. Mm -hmm. And I'll work out where I'm going to hike and I'll do the hike and then see what I see. And again, because Joshua Tree isn't that obvious for images, it's not like you can do a bunch of research and say, go on this trail and you'll see X, Y, and Z and... that's what you should shoot. So you just kind of discover it as you go along. So the next part of once I've explored, because that kind of gets you out of home mode, gets you into nature mode, being out there. And then the second bit is experience, which is uh, just soak in the experience of being out in nature. You know, what are the sights? What are the sounds, the smells? You know, how do you feel? Touch the rock, you know, if you're doing a bit of scrambling. Many years ago when I was lighter and didn't have dependence, I used to do a lot of rock climbing and winter climbing as well. And so I always like to do a bit of scrambling and just that sensation of hands on rock and moving around on rock I find really, you know, rewarding. I think it kind of, this is going to sound a bit deep, it kind of feeds back into the soul when you touch the hot rock. And, you know, I kind of like that sensation. So go out and experience. And the way I liken it is, you know, if you go to a, a rock concert you know, you've got so many people who don't actually experience the music because they're too busy snapping videos or (laughs) photos of who's on stage. And it drives me mad because it's like, yeah, it's like, no, put the bloody phone down, listen to the music, let it, you know. So for me, that's the kind of experience part. And then, you know, if I'm not in photography mode at the end of that, then I'm not going to be. So I just carry on enjoying my height. But, you know, more often than not, nine times out of 10, I see something, I'm curious. And, you know, I see a composition I like, and you know, I'll, I'll photograph it.
0: What, what is it about a specific subject or a scene that, or what kind of variables or aspects to those things are drawing you in typically?
1: I'm quite drawn by kind of symmetry, um, negative space, leading lines. It's kind of the th- some of the things we've already touched on. Joshua trees tend to be quite messy a lot of them they're not kind of photogenic so there's a few places in the park where i have my favorite joshua trees because they're like nicely shaped they have the right kind of foliage and proportion they're isolated from the next tree so trying to find patterns of trees so you can pick out two or three that kind of stand alone you know don't cut the ridge line behind them you know they're either below the ridge or you know they're above the ridge so i'm looking at all those kind of things and then i'm looking at the sort of shapes and colours, the light, the tones. You know, I I, I really enjoy taking pictures. I, I've just I got a reset, a new telephoto recently, the 100 to 500 uh, Canon RF lens, which I love, and that is just brilliant for sort of sunset shoots where you've got multiple layers and you're just kind of compressing. You know the image down, so yeah. you know that's fun thing. So I'm I'm looking at all those kind of things. So it's not like I set out with something specific in mind. It's just kind of what what prompts me while whilst I'm out exploring.
0: Yeah, and I mean that lens. I mean you only need one kidney, so <laughs> you're good. Yeah, yeah. So I mean I joke. I mean
1: it's like. My family and my expensive hobbies are why I have a full-time job and there's, you know, there's no, there's no way I'll be giving it up anytime soon and relying on photography to make my, you know, to make my living. I mean, maybe when the, you know, the kids are completely independent, you know, if I could earn a bit from photography, then that would be cool. But, you know, I'm not, I don't need to stress in my life of uh, saying, you know, don't worry, family, we'll be okay, but I just need to sell another 300 workshops.
0: Right. That is tough. And we might touch on that a little bit later Um, but I do want to talk a little bit more about kind of these Joshua trees that are, you're, you're literally looking for like the perfect trees or at least based on what kind of meets your definition. And I'm curious if you've ever tried to do the opposite, like try to make a good image out of a tree. That's just like, that is the nastiest looking Joshua tree I've ever seen. And I want to capture that chaos. I've tried, <laughs> but they're not too successful. Well, now that I you've mean, got that some... that RF lens, you'll be good.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, sometimes it's kind of fun to isolate it against a background, or if it's got like an odd shape, or you know, rather than being upright, it's kind of bent and curved over. Sure. So, yeah, I probably need to do that more often and and try the reverse. But you know, I'm I'm a creature of habit, so I I think the other thing is is kind of the juxtaposition of different trees with the landscape behind i think one thing that kind of got drummed into me was like you know kind of edge patrol and then also things like ridge lines and making sure that you know if you're going to cut a ridge line with a tree you know it's just the trunk which cuts it and the top the foliage of the trees above in the sky so i'm a bit finickety about stuff like that i mean woodland photography i mean i really admire the, the woodland photographers out there but i think it would just drive me crazy i've tried a little bit of it locally during covid i'm just no good at it at all it's just uh it's just too chaotic it's 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 too it's messy and of course california we don't have any fog so fog woodland without fog seems to be a little pointless
0: no it's not pointless it's
1: just harder I'm, i i'm i'm just uh yeah that was uh <laughs> stated to get a reaction no no i I, so those are the kind of things I'm looking at, and um, it, the other thing in Joshua Tree, which is quite interesting, there's a lot of sort of man-made history in the park, and there's quite a few old mine workings, mine buildings. Okay. There's a stamp mill. There's a whole bunch of twenties, nineteen twenty cars and trucks just kind of lying around in the middle of nowhere. So it's kind of interesting those kind of historical artifacts and how they fit in culturally in the park. So. You know they make for some interesting subjects You know, a bunch of windmills and water tanks and stuff like that
0: yeah i was on a hike back in april with eric bennett we were over in capitol reef um, and we just found this old road that supposedly had a trail at the end of it it sort of did but um past the end of the road we hiked in and there was this old like tour truck that said Capitol Reef National Monument, and it was uh-huh. from, like, 1940 or something. And wow. there's all these tumbleweeds in it, and it was, like, wild. It was, like... And you could tell, like, no one goes out there. Yeah. It was really
1: yeah. weird. Yeah. Well, there's, there's three 1929 Lincolns, which have been converted into trucks, which I know of in the park, and were all owned by the same guy, Bill Keynes, mm. who was one of the kind of legendary miners out there and you know they're just fun to see because they were kind of worked to death and then just when it stopped working that's where it stayed right and
0: it looks so out of place (laughs) yeah yeah
1: but yeah they make they make for fun foregrounds particularly for things like uh, star trails
0: oh sure yeah well i feel like we're gonna have a little bit of a debate on the next little subject here but okay um what i mean you said you've been to j like nine billion times I think you said eighty something, but yeah, yeah that's yeah, like in time. my mind that's like a billion so it's a, lot. it's a lot yeah so why do you think revisiting the same locations again and again improves your photography
1: i think it because you 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 build up a uh kind of encyclopedia of locations that you can revisit maybe when you first go there you know the light's not great or you want to be in a different season or you know whatever it might be so what I tend to do is when I'm out exploring I mentioned that I'm really keen on Gaia so if I see a potential location for a composition and it's not right then I'll drop a waypoint on my map so I look at my map and I have a whole bunch of waypoints that I might want to revisit and sometimes you know you take an image and you don't get it quite right, the composition just doesn't work, and it's like you need to go back and shoot it again and you know i'm a I'm a great one for not doing focus stacking properly, you know it's like I'll get three or four in a sequence right, and then there's a hole in the focus yeah, and it's like, damn it it's like damn it, need to go back and do that again <laughs> so I think yeah, being able to revisit places, and I think also I made an active decision that uh, with my workshops I didn't want to kind of come across that, hey, I'm the expert in these ten different national parks in Southern California, because we're spoilt for national parks here. And Joshua Tree had such an appeal, I thought, no, I'm just gonna go back and really learn Joshua Tree. So if I take, you know, a client out, rather than have my five standard places to visit, I've got fifty I can choose from that I know exactly how it'll be at different times of the year, you know, in different light. Um, you know based on you know wind direction time of year you know what the weather's doing I can kind of adjust so I think it just gives more more flexibility and I think you know cuts down on my carbon footprint as well Mm. you know I'm not jetting off here there and everywhere Mm -hmm. so you know for me there's a there's a there's a number of benefits and I think and also you know for me the photography in Joshua Tree is more than just taking photos it's the kind of relationship with Joshua Tree you know I I mentioned earlier I also volunteer in the park so I have a kind of a link and an association with the park and feel like I've got a connection there so for me it's important to kind of revisit and enjoy And, and as I said I don't always take photos sometimes I'll you know it's like last weekend I was there when I wasn't getting wet you know I got up one morning for sunrise took a Handful of shots, and that was the only time I used the camera that weekend. Yeah, no, and the rest of the time I was just enjoying, you know, enjoying being there.
0: Yeah, no, I think everything you said, I'm 100% on board with. I agree with every. I mean, from a marketing SEO perspective, from a comfort level, from a like just having a really good understanding, have a relationship with the place. I think that all makes perfect sense i just have one counterpoint go on then <laughs> well first of all i don't know i would pr- i probably would get a little bored me personally with the same scenes or the same subjects if that's all i photographed
1: and i don't know that's that's a fair point that's a fair point
0: point. and i feel like you know the more that for me anyway the more that i branch because i used to just do mountains that's it right like mm-hmm. i was the mountain guy and now i do like more than that. <laughs> you know, I do deserts yeah. and, yeah. you know, I, but I think exploring different locations can really help you with composition, it can help you with creativity, it can help you with different ideas and different themes. You might be looking to a uh, project ideas. I mean, I think, yeah, I think that
1: yeah. no, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, I, I, and I don't just shoot in Joshua Tree. I mean, I do have, you know, trips elsewhere, you know, I spent time in Yosemite, I've been sure. to, you know, Sequoia, Kings Canyon. I've been to that national park near you that you've never been to, Black Canyon of the Gunnison. Isn't that silly? (laughs) Um, I've been to Yellowstone, you know, Grand Tetons. I mean, there are some amazing, amazing parks in the US. So I do, you know, get out and, you know, venture further afield. But, you know, I specialize in Joshua Tree, but, you know, I've visited a lot of the other deserts in Southern California. I mean, I had my kind of first visit to Death Valley, earlier this year which was which was just incredible and you know had an amazing time there so i absolutely i mean if i only ever went to joshua tree and nowhere else i i agree i would get bored i think you know the kind of compare and contrast is absolutely valid but i kind of feel at the moment that you know i'd be quite happy to not fly anywhere and just stay on the west coast visiting the national parks up and down the west coast i mean that's more than enough for a lifetime of photography
0: i agree i mean yeah there's there's stuff within five five hour drive of me that could completely occupy my time for four lifetimes so
1: (laughs) yeah you need to go to black canyon by the way
0: i know it just i get it it's
1: it's on your doorstep so it just gets overlooked
0: Maybe I don't know. It's just like everyone has that one photo, you know, with the striations of the mm-hmm. rock, and I'm just like, yeah. It's, first of all, like you need a good sky. I, I don't know. Like it's just, <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't speak to me, but I do need to go. I know.
1: I'm I'm just pulling you like.
0: No, it's. I'm sure I'll go and have an amazing time. It's just like, you know, you drive a little bit further and you're in Kebler Pass. It's like in the mountains, mm-hmm. and I look. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean,
1: Colorado is. Yeah, driving through Colorado for the first time last year when I picked up my camper on the way back from Montana. I mean, it's just a phenomenal state. I mean, it's just breathtakingly beautiful. You know, I was driving through and, you know, the leaves were turning and I was so gutted that I had to just motor back home. Yeah, that hurts. Because I was, like, running out of days off and had to get home and, you know.
0: Uh, that's painful.
1: Yeah, but anyway.
0: All right, well... Hey, this is a good segue for my next question. It's, it just ties okay. right in. It's almost like I planned it. What would you recommend to someone who gets bored of visiting the same locations again and again? <laughs> well, the first would be
1: don't go back and back to the same place, no. Seriously. <laughs> I think it depends on the definitely it depends on the place that you're going to. But I mean, my number one thing is buy a map, topographical map, really look at where you could go, don't just go back to the usual haunts, you know, find a new trail, find a new hike. You know, if you've got a large park with two entrances, and you always go in the west entrance, go in the east entrance and just, you know, see what's over there. Go at a different time of year. Or maybe, you know, if you're going back, set yourself a little project. Now, I mentioned my least used lens, the telephoto. You know, I will sometimes make myself only use one lens Mm -hmm. on a trip. You know, whatever that might be. Or say, you know, I'm only going to shoot in, you know, aperture priority or manual or bulb or whatever it might be. I'm always going to use an ND filter, you know, whatever kind of project you want to set yourself, just do something different. I was on a workshop recently and the instructor, I was a volunteer and the instructor had said to the people on the course, you know, there's a tree over there. Go and take 20 images of that one tree, but I want to see 20 different kind of variations on a theme of, you know, different angles, shooting positions, you know, techniques, just kind of mix it up a bit. And I think, you know, I think when you say you'll get bored of somewhere, I'm not sure you've really fully explored the possibilities. You know, you've got to go to the same place a lot of times not to see something new, you know, and I can speak from experience of going to Joshua Tree 80 plus times. I'm not even starting to get bored of it. You know, there's just so much there, but it's an immense park. You know.
0: I don't typically get uh, bored of a place. I usually get annoyed by the like a changing experience. Like, there's more people mm-hmm. than normal, or yeah, something like that is usually what gets me down on a place. But it's not usually the place itself. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean,
1: I think, yeah, you just gotta try and mix it up. I mean, I set myself a little project or it was a group I'm involved with. We set ourselves a project during COVID which was when we couldn't travel very far was find 10 locations within 15 miles of home and just take images there.
0: I mean, that's a, that's good advice even outside of COVID. Yeah,
1: and it was it was really exciting because it's places that I would naturally just ignore and overlook, you know. I live 10 miles from the Pacific Ocean and almost never take pictures of seascapes. And it's like, I really need to start taking pictures of seascapes because I really enjoy images of seascapes, but I almost never go there. But I'll drive two hours to the desert. I mean, it's, it doesn't really make sense.
0: Right. Well, you know, some people are just drawn to different landscapes. You know, I yep. I love the coast, but I, when I lived in Portland, I was... Mm, Two hours from mountains or two hours from the coast. Probably went to the mountains. The mountains one. Four times out of five. You know?
1: Yeah. yeah. That's
0: the way it worked.
1: Absolutely. Um
0: well cool. Uh let's shift topics a little bit again. Uh you know, in twenty you said in twenty twenty one you made the decision to give back to nature through your work. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what that looks like and how it's going. Yeah, sure.
1: So I think it was kind of through the kind of fog of COVID, you know, you kind of reassess things and think about what you're doing. And, you know, over the years, being outdoors, being in nature has given me a huge amount of, you know, positive experiences. And I've loved my time out there. And I just felt that I wanted to kind of give back and do something to, to help kind of nature in return rather than just take him. So the first thing I did was, um, it was probably 2020, I attended a couple of geology courses that were put on by the Joshua Tree National Park Association. They have a a part of the association called the Desert Institute. So JTMPA is the fundraising arm for the Joshua Tree National Park. So they run the visitor centers and they also run the Desert Institute, which puts on kind of um sort of nature photography geology culture art field classes so they're all field classes actually in the park Mm. during the year Mm -hmm. and there's a great array of of courses i really enjoyed these geology courses because i find geology just fascinating and they always have two or three volunteers who come along on those on those courses and basically the volunteers are there to help the instructor out And also to kind of just look at the people on the course and make sure they don't kill themselves in the desert, basically, you know, to keep them fed, watered away from cacti and, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, it's a lot of fun. So I started doing the volunteering, which has been which has been great. I've probably done 15 or so courses where I've attended. And, you know, it's another excuse to be out in the desert, but just volunteering for the park, you know, and putting my time and energy into that and then. Latterly, I've just found out, which I'm really delighted about, is from spring 23, I'm going to be doing two photography courses on behalf of the Desert Institute and actually instructing. Oh, cool. So I'm doing a fundamentals of landscape photography and a, an advanced landscape photography course, and they're weekend courses, and uh, the National Park opens up one of the private campgrounds that we have in the park. So it's you know small group, kind of intimate group, and a really good opportunity, and Desert Institute courses, they're you know great value for money. Uh, they're very competitively priced and, you know, it goes to a worthy cause. So I'm really excited about that. it It's interesting. I meet a lot of people and it's got me kind of more closely connected with the park itself and, you know, meet the rangers, really understand what it really means to, you know, actually run a park and, yeah. you know, what's required, which is pretty, pretty significant. So... You know, I was at a, a volunteer dinner last week and we had the David Smith, the park superintendent for Joshua Tree was there, you know, just basically saying you know, thanks for all the work that's been doing. And he was walking us through what a like massive amount of work the parks in Southern California have had to do recently because of all the flooding. So I think you probably know, you know, Death Valley was kind of closed completely for about a week and Mojave Preserve is probably going to be closed, big sections of it for At least six to nine months Joshua Tree wasn't too badly affected but you know it's had its impact so it just gives another perspective to you know visiting a park seeing nature and something that a lot of people don't even think about you know they just go there and snap the shots and don't really give it a moment's thought so for me it was important to kind of give back and then the other thing I did which is probably You know, something near and dear to your heart is I started volunteering for Nature First. So I came on board as an ambassador so that I could kind of actively promote responsible nature and landscape photography and kind of um, promote the Nature First principles when I'm running my workshops or kind of all the activity that I do with photography. And then in January this year, I took on the additional role, which again is a volunteer role of being the technology coordinator. So I'm now trying to get my head around all the technology that Nature First uses to kind of run the ambassadors and all the initiatives they have, websites, social media, the communication tools. Uh, we're busy migrating the website onto a new platform so we can make it leaner leaner and greater. And that's been brilliant. I've met a lot of really cool people, You know, several of the founders that, that you, know, you know, Eric and Scott, Rick, and others and you know that's that's been really rewarding just kind of getting involved with that and then the third thing i do it was busy the end of 2021 i did a i did a wilderness first aid course the woofer course with Knowles, which is really you know it's a a weekend course i'd recommend it to anybody who spends any time outdoors is but a proper kind of first aid course for when you're out and about in the wilderness and That made me feel a lot more confident about being a volunteer and being able to help people out if they need to. But also, you know, when I have guests on my workshops, just knowing that, you know, I know what to do if something happens. But, you know, typically the worst thing that happens is normally a cactus wound or someone gets a scrape. So fortunately, haven't had to put it into practice yet. So, yeah, but those are the three steps I took to to kind of give back and, and felt like a positive move for me it's made my trips there a lot more rewarding
0: yeah that makes sense i feel like uh if there's ways that you can do some of that volunteering or even if it's donating money or whatever it's i don't know there's it's gonna sound cheesy but you know it just makes you feel like a better person
1: i i don't think it's cheesy at all i mean it does it gives you you know it gives you endorphins it makes you feel positive it's you know you're doing something without you know, expecting anything in return, I think, you know, I think it's good for the human condition just to kind of give once in a while.
0: Brilliant. Well, tell us about your upcoming workshops and your online mentoring.
1: Oh, okay. So without it
0: sounding like too much of a plug,
1: so I I run a mix of uh, one-to-one and small group workshops. So my approach is I never had more than three photographers on a workshop because it's me plus three in the ranger and it just means we can get here, there, overland, doesn't matter where we go. And I just feel that's the right kind of ratio. It means I can have a decent amount of time with each of the participant. Last year uh, I set the workshops up as weekend workshops and that didn't work so well. A lot of people don't like staying overnight. They don't want to camp, you know, they'd rather be in a hotel. They want some, uh, you know, they want some comfort. So this year what I'm playing around with I'm doing a lot of half day and one day workshops um so you know one-to-ones tend to be sunrise my preference of light is sunrise over sunset you know sunsets are beautiful if they happen but sunrise for me is just more consistent i think it's you you tend to get better conditions i find at sunrise not always the case but i just i like sunrise so one-to-ones which people can book and just schedule on the on the website and then I do a number of different group workshops, one days at sunrise, half days for sunset. And then what I'm starting to do this winter as the days get a bit shorter is the kind of full on 12, 13 hour sunrise to sunset workshop, which I think is going to be a lot of fun, which is just kind of go, go, go. Let's get to a bunch of different locations. Let's enjoy a hike, probably a rest during lunchtime. And then on top of that, I do some dark sky workshops because Joshua Tree is an official dark sky park i think it was the 10th approved so it's kind of bortle two maybe three depending on which way you're facing but it's dark so you you know you can get some good star trails Milky way shot and then the online mentoring i i kind of started as a as a way of kind of networking meeting other photographers and it kind of took out it took off from there and it's kind of giving people feedback on you know on their portfolio some tips setting up their cameras just kind of answering specific questions about things. They're not sure of a specific technique. You know, how do I do, you know, focus stacking? How do, how do I do, uh, you know, exposure blend stuff like that? So it's a kind of mix of camera setup, feedback on images, a uh, bit of post processing.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. And, uh, who would you recommend for the podcast? Ah, okay. Well, being a Brit, I'm going to have, to
1: have to suggest at least two fellow Brits. So uh, <laughs> the first guy is Chris Sale. Uh, he's a UK Lake District-based photographer, uh, workshop leader. Uh, he's a good friend of mine and, and also my mentor. And um, he started a photo group called Photocom a couple of years ago, and we meet on a monthly basis. There's about 20, 30 people internationally that get together. It, it's a lot of fun. And then through that, I've met the other two uh, guys I'm going to mention. So, Steve Bennett, he's another UK based photographer, does a lot of black and white, uh, great eye and talent for natural, abstract, and small scene images. He has some pretty cool seascapes as well. Uh, so, I really like his work. And then, third guy is Paul Cook. Uh, he's a floridian seascape and drone image photographer. Really enjoy his work. Just a just, just a cool guy, uh, good to talk to, and just like what he comes out with, he's pretty prolific, and he, he's just started getting into doing a bit of kind of street photography as well, which is quite interesting, just to see a different kind of genre and how it kind of impacts what he does on landscapes.
0: Awesome. Well, John, this has been a great time. Yeah, I really appreciate it, Matt.
1: Thank you, it was great to talk to you, and I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: Yeah, of course, thank you. All right, cheers. Well, thank you to John for joining on the podcast this week. I highly encourage listeners to check out John's work by visiting a link in his website in the show notes. As a reminder, we have more photos and links over on my blog at mattpainphotography.com as well. Coming up on the podcast, we have some exciting guests. First up, we have Alistair Ben, who has returned to tell us about his experience in the Gobi Desert and how it has shaped his approach to expressive photography. We then have Elan Shahom joining us from Israel to talk about monetization of nature photography. And we have Radomir Jakubowski joining us from Germany to talk all about Well, a ton of stuff. It was really fun. I had a great time recording with all these amazing photographers. If you enjoy the show, please do take a moment to support us in any way you can. A review on iTunes or Spotify helps people discover the show, as does a simple story on Instagram. Thanks for you amazing people that are supporting the Value for Value model on Patreon by putting your money where your mouth is. I appreciate you. Okay. That's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.